What's up, Southwest Virginia? Welcome back to Beats, Brews, and Buddies for episode 20. I'm your host, Travis Schmidt, and this is Jeremy Price. Today on our beat, we're going to talk about being a multi-instrumentalist. We're going to talk about living all over this country, and we're going to talk all that with our good buddy, Brock. What up, Brock? How are you? Good. <laughs> Not le- let it finish. <laughs> I don't want to. He I, hit the, I he get hit. so excited. I think I you might hit that one. I did, but I just let it go. I've done that twice now. I've done that twice. Um, all right. Pronounce your last name one more one more time for for me. It's uh, Roushley. 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 It's a difficult. Brock Roushley. When, when, Brock when, bringing when, that radio voice when, in I here. I know. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we want to get it right though. Don't Roushley. you can't so you get, get me close up on a mic like this? Yeah, I, I get too close. I want to <laughs> apologize. Yeah, but you, I, you guys sound so good though. Proximity. It's good. It's good podcast voice. I actually had time to listen to some of our work, some of the podcasts, and I, and I do eat the microphone. And I this is my formal apology. I'm gonna try to stay here. <laughs> so, I like. I think I like how the the, the windscreen feels all spongy. <laughs> all right, let's go. So, um, <laughs> well, we like to introduce our brew. Uh, what are we drinking today, there, uh, Mr. Price? Man, we're drinking Stella Artois. <clears throat> And they're proud of their rich Belgian heritage. Uh, Stella Artois traces its origins to over 600 years ago to the Den Horn Brewery in Leuven, Belgium. Live in Belgium. Loving living in Belgium. (laughs) Founded in 1366. Stella Artois was born as a holiday gift to the people of Leuven from the brewery. Cheers. Stella, cheers, guys. Let me get some clinks. Let me get some clinks. Clink, clinkity clink. Oh, he's got long arms, too. The longest. So I know that I'm saying that wrong, by the way, but I have no idea. I say Leuven. I, I think you Leuven. did. It. I think you did it better Leuven. than I would have ever done it. So Leuven. I'm All right. Leuven. So Brock Roshley, did I get that right? Roshley. Yeah. Let's go. Has lived in the New River Valley for the past decade, performing in groups such as Is It Earth? U R T E H. I like that. And the. All right. Here we go. The Chupacabras. Did I get that one right, too? Oh, yeah. Rip Jive and Lazy Man Dub Band, as well as in horn sections with many different groups. He is principally a guitarist, saxophone player, and vocalist, and likes to build strange things to hit with his feet and other appendages. I like that. We'll talk about that. <laughs> it's can you, accurate. Can you make a note? <laughs> um, he is a native of uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Brock spent most of his musical career in the Los Angeles area prior to his life in Virginia. While on the West Coast for about 15 years, he performed and recorded with many groups on both guitar and saxophone. His funk progressive trio, Earth, performed their original music regularly at venues such as The Knitting Factory, The Coconut Teaser, <laughs> I like I like these names, and the world-renowned jazz fusion nightclub, The Baked Potato. I knew you were going to say that. I don't have that. I don't have it in front of me, but I was going to ask Brock if he played The Baked Potato. Also that working as the rhythm, the, the Baked Potato was? Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll circle back to that, I promise. Uh, working as a rhythm section of a jazz quartet, performing at many weddings, casuals, Casuals and various events where he would wouldn't normally be allowed to loiter like the Jonathan Club in downtown LA. During his college years, Brock de- began and to, to develop his multi instrumental approach, which led to the formation of the band Earth and its original trio format, in which he played guitar and bass simultaneously 
on a self-modified seventh string while also incorporating his first instrument, the alto sax. Nuts. I've seen him do this, by the way. By building an elevated standout of some drum stand, guitar stand, and sax stand parts, he was able to play the sax along with the seventh string. Some years later, he would ultimately build the world's craziest solo rig in pursuit of the true spontaneous improvisation of form. It was very, very heavy and big. Nowadays, Brock is loving playing music with his beautiful brothers and sisters in Chupacabras, Lazy Man Dub Band, and Rip Jive, as well as enjoying working with and getting to hear the music so many other fantastic musicians in the in the NRV area, all while carrying as little gear as possible whenever he possibly can. Mm. Welcome, Brock. I'm going to hit the right button. There we go. <laughs> I didn't mean to hit that. He Sorry. hit the wrong right button and then the wrong oh, button. Strike one. Two. I, I that is two. Yeah. <laughs> I was I count you. Brock, I don't even know where to begin. I, talk about the the baked potato clubs. Let's just start there. Let's just start heavy. Well, uh, it's just a really well known. It's owned by a guy who used to be in the Wrecking Crew. Don Randy uh, played piano mm-hmm. on. Well, he was Nazi uh, Nancy Sinatra's uh, keyboard player and. Played on everything, and he opened it uh, in 1970. And um, just so many of my idols have played there that when I first moved out to L.A. after college, uh, that was kind of a goal mm. to get to be playing regularly at the, the Baked Potato. Um, Did you play it regularly? Yeah, yeah, about yeah. Every, in the early 2000s, about every uh, three months or so. Yeah, like yeah. for our listeners, it is a – if you're a musician that's really aspiring to learn as much as you can about – well, music in general, but you know, I would say jazz and fusion. There's a, there's a whole lot of that there. Um, you find folks like Vinny Caliuta. You find all the heavies there, even if they're playing with other projects. They, oh, yeah. So yeah, he had been that was playing there. There's smaller projects. Smaller Michael projects. Michael Yeah, there. man. Alan Holdsworth was a staple there. They, they just gravitate back to that spot and do their thing. Um, I have never been, but I've heard so many, so many stories. I didn't know you'd played there so often. That's That's amazing. Yeah, it's like I said, it's my favorite. Yeah, my favorite spot. It's not where we made the most money, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was the one place we'd agree to just work for the door. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it. I, I don't know if I'll ever play there, but it's it's always been in the back of my mind when I was when I learned of the place and I learned all the people that go through. On the there's somebody playing there tonight. There has to be. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah and sure. somebody amazing. Yeah, yeah. I just, was just honored just to be able to play there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got like nightly gigs. Like even we, it's today Tuesday, so like they play. We're yeah. probably not they even do. doing it justice describing it right now. It is it is a go to spot in Los Angeles for so many fantastic. You'll have to forgive my night. ignorance. I never heard of it. And I'm I'm like super excited to learn about it. So there are not that many clubs that have been around that long in LA either. Okay, um, they tend to especially jazz oriented. Yeah, clubs, uh, not like New York, you know. Mm. I mean, these names, the Knitting Factory and the Coconut Teaser. Well, the main Knitting Factory is actually in, the, in New York City. New York City. Is new, um, okay. This was the one in Hollywood that, that we used to play it a lot. Mm. Oh, wow. And the Coconut Teaser, that was, uh, you said it's I don't know that one. I don't either. But oh, really? No. I, uh, yeah, that's just uh, it's kind of a well-known, kind of like the Troubadour. You know the Troubadour. I know the yeah, Troubadour. That one I do know. Some too. Yeah, yep. uh, oh, man. That's the really... Teaser and the Troubadour. I okay. associated. So 15 years out there. start with a T. Yeah, yeah. 15 years out there? Yeah, approximately. It wasn't all consecutive. Sure. I moved away. I lived in Jersey for a while, just outside the, the city, Newark 
area. Well, New Orleans for about a year. What in the world brought you here to the, the old Roanoke Valley? Uh, initially, it was actually uh, I had well, I have family here that I visited for years and years. Always loved it. And when I lived up in the or outside the city, you know, I would come down all the time to visit. And a good buddy of mine went to grad school in Winchester, so I'd been um, that I went to high school with in Dallas, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'd been coming to the area a lot. I love the mountains. I have to live near. Now, um, after growing up in mostly East Texas, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, where yeah. it's all flat and short trees. So, but, so Tennessee, Texas, Los Angeles, New York, military family? Uh, what? what? Uh, my father worked on ro- uh, roads and bridges. Oh. Uh, mostly he's a civil engineer. So, yeah, my family moved around. Moved where the work yeah. was, right? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. This first time we've had a situation or, or a story like this not a situation sorry like it's a story like this. <laughs> i would say i would say brock it is, is a situation, situation so. we need to rectify it's a situation no it's really neat because we we've we try to honor those that that have come before us and and brought us to where we are we're at here um i mean i've talked a lot about my parents on the show and jeremy's mentioned his too and you know it's those experiences were because of your your dad i would i would assume and because you had to move and so like you just got to pick up and play where where you go. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think, uh, well, at least the music to me was a way of speaking as a, as a kid. You know, mm. I think that's what led me to it. I wasn't very good otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> the old confidence builder. I know a yeah. lot of folks like that. Oh, they yeah. find music and they're like, yes, I can express myself. It happens. All right, so my first question was, like, talk about your roots from Tennessee, but I don't even want to talk about your roots from Tennessee. I want to talk about your travels and right. how how moving to this this area has influenced, how, how those travels and those moves influ- has influenced your music you perform here. Uh, well, first of all, about just living here, I love, I live, like, out in the country now, and I always lived in huge cities. By far, Memphis was the... Smallest place I ever lived. Um, right. Until here. Actually, I guess New Orleans is technically a little smaller, at least now, population-wise. But I that think, was only for about a year. Um, but I grew up mostly in Houston and, and Dallas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm sorry, what was it? No, <laughs> no, no. I, I, was, I was asking, what um, from all oh, that travel, um, what did you, what, did, what, what makes you play your jazz fusion and what you're doing now? Um, how, how did all that influence you? Well, uh... I think I had a bit of wanderlust when I was younger, for one thing. But, um, I mean, certainly all the different places you live uh, influence your music. I mean, I think really everything does. To me, it's just a music is a reflection of life and uh, sort of an analog. So, uh, uh, as far as coming here and things that have maybe changed a little bit um, since I've played here, I do a lot more section stuff. I never really did a lot of uh, horn section stuff before it was mostly just a one-off performance you know mm-hmm. or pick up things um, with the saxophone um, but uh, yeah is there, <laughs> is there like more opportunity for section stuff here or is that just because uh, well t- one thing is being principally guitar player um, mm-hmm. or at least that's what I've studied the most right um, it's easier to get pickup gigs on the, on a horn mm-hmm. because usually the the guitar players kind of a staple member of the band. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not going to find as many pickup gigs for that. Whereas on a horn, people are going to 
hire out a section for their bigger gigs and things like that. And, Right. Just more opportunities. Right, right, right. Well, you said weddings. Like, I mean, that made me think of yeah. I, if you're gonna ha- have a wedding band, you gotta have gotta have a horn section, right? You know, especially actually, we didn't. Uh, I was the only horn back then uh, <laughs> in LA. I mean, yeah. Um, with uh, uh, with your your group. Uh yeah, Earth. We uh, like I said, we had different forms. It was it, it worked well because we were a trio. It was like an organ trio. Um, it was myself, an organ player, and a drummer. Oh, and cool. uh, because we were able to do all these gigs together and keep like we uh, guy that I learned from a lot, an older saxophone player that would hire us out as his uh, his jazz quartet. You know, um, hmm. I learned so much from that. Uh, yeah. Did you did you study? Because um, you went you went to Berkeley, right? Berkeley in North Texas is where I did most of the. Okay, so studies. did you did you did you study sax there, or did you do no? Guitar? I studied just guitar. Okay, which was dumb actually because I knew a guy at Berkeley um, who was smart. He, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he he was a keyboard player. He wanted to study the keyboards. Yeah, but um, he went as a saxophone performance major, which they were hungry for at Berkeley. It's almost all guitar players and drummers, mm-hmm. um, or at least it was back then. Uh, so he did that. That's what I should have done because I'd only been playing guitar for about two years at that point. Okay. Um, that's, you know, I could have got a full scholarship. I had a partial scholarship at first for composition, and then I decided I didn't want to be a composition major. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a third Berkeley guest. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's a little pocket of you guys here in oh, town. I didn't even know that. Yeah, no, I love, I, lo- uh, I, I applied to Berkeley. I had my, my letter, and they said I couldn't come. I didn't even send, I didn't want to go to music school really. I just, I just like sent the, the paper and fill it out. They didn't, they didn't heard me play <laughs> nothing. I was sort of making my parents happy and like, Man, I don't really want to do, I really want to do this. So I just fill it out. But well, there's uh, certainly no reason anybody needs to. No. You know, and that's I, what I always tell younger people, especially now that college is so crazy expensive. It's so expensive. You know, I've, I've had a few younger people ask me, uh, you know, about going there. And I always say, you know, it's, if you can, it's great. There's a wealth of information yep. there. Yeah. You know, you can learn so much there, um, but it's certainly not necessary by no. any means. No, I, I learned that the hard way as well. But that just, I'm glad there are some folks in town with that particular experience. Um, I learn so much every time I play with them. Lots of Berkeley cats. No, it's it's really really neat to hear hear those stories and how how that part of your life affected you as well. Um, Actually, one thing I can say <laughs> at Berkeley. Uh, I was not allowed to play fingerstyle. What? What? That that was what I was not happy about because I've always played fingerstyle. My nails are kind of torn up right now because I pulled the acrylic off of them. But um, all right, so hold on, hold on. What? Um, I was forced to play with a pick all the time. Why do you play fingerstyle? Is that something from childhood or just a preference? Uh, it's just really what I started doing. Um, Naturally, uh, when I was fifteen, and I started playing. Uh, yeah, I can't really remember why. Okay, uh, and they said no. Uh, yeah, no, I wasn't allowed to do that in class. Can you tell me ensembles. a little bit more about that? Um, well, I think was there a reason? I think it's just there's a certain format at Berkeley that you've probably heard that before. That yes, the things that you go down. Also, at the time, uh, William Levitt had just died. Who was the head of the the like original head of the guitar department. So I think maybe things were a little more disorganized at that moment in time, but interesting. Generally, I think just they there's a set way of doing something and that's the way you're going to do it while you're learning, which I, 
you know, maybe maybe there's something good to that. Uh, I, I understand that. It just it didn't suit me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at the time. Well, I mean, you're not you don't you're. And not then I went to North home. Texas, where they you know they were cool. With it. Like do whatever you want. Yeah. Are you familiar with Buster B. Jones? That sounds familiar. So he, I think he was from Iowa, but he lived here a very very long time, and he was one of, he's one of the most world renowned finger style guitar players. Oh, yeah? He's not with us anymore. He passed probably 10, 12 years ago. Um, I had one guitar lesson with him. Hmm. Just uh, We had a guest on, Jody Enzer. Oh, okay. And Jody and, and Buster have had history. Um, he is an incredible, he's a Tom, Tommy Emanuel type player. Oh, okay. In fact, him and Tommy, to my knowledge, were not on the best of terms. Oh, really? But they played a lot of the same venues back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I've shared that with you because Brock and I no. have actually played music together a couple of times. Like he's just so good, but I learned it went well in terms of me learning something. Yeah, from the yeah. guy. But yeah, and it was at a bar. He was playing a gig. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. That's I'm like, how do you do song. this? He's like, ah. <laughs> anyway, so a lot of lot of jazz, a lot of fusion in your life. Uh, did you get that out of Berkeley, or more? Now I'm. I want to. Uh, really, it was more musicians I met, friends, older musicians that turned me on to a lot of music that I'd really never heard before. Uh. Or post high school, I guess. And that's is that what influenced your your current um, your current band? Yeah, among other things. Talk I about think, that. Uh, so talk talk about the 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 chupacabras. Well, chupacabras is uh, to me maybe the most fun band uh, camaraderie wise. Um, we just all have a kind of bond in that band. So it's it's to me it's like. Uh, my favorite kind of party band, I guess, in a mm-hmm. way that I've been in. It's a big group. Uh, yeah, yeah, and we're all great friends. So we, you know, it's, it's uh, to me, it's uh, kind of like I always wanted, kind of a band of brothers kind of thing. That's cool, know? right? Right. And um, that's what that band feels like to me. It, nice. Um, it's kind of like a I mean, genre-wise, kind of a, a lot of Afro beat. That's kind of my favorite. Thing in it, and then a kind of surf element, and then also uh, people bring in things and styles that I've not really done previously, and uh, I've been challenged vocally on certain things that you know that makes me happy. To is it is it all original? Different? Uh, no, it's about half and half. We do okay. half covers, I'd say. So who do you cover? So if I I've heard you guys one time, and it was a long time ago. Um. It's uh, well, not uh, several things. Afrobeat. Um, I'm <laughs> kind of drawing a blank. On nobody, the, uh, nobody specific. You can't name. Um, it's all right. You can't. Well, as far as a newer group, um, we did a number of uh, covers of uh, Karunjabin. That band, I think Dude, I'm saying it right. Are you, um, we did several of their tunes. I'm uh, going to be the only person. Do you guys? Have you guys? I, I don't. Karunjabin. Karunjabin. I do not know. Man. I'm gonna write down. You're covering their stuff. Yeah, yeah, we That's did. That's amazing. Uh, we haven't been Chupacabras hasn't been playing quite as much recently this right, year. Right, but, right. Uh, although we got a, we're going up to New York uh, next weekend. Nice. Yeah. Do you want to describe this band, or do you want me to try? Oh, you go ahead. <laughs> I'm not good at it. So when I was selling my my house uh, last year, <laughs> I found them while I was just doing some upgrades at the basement, the house that you came to and rehearsed in a few yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. Um, this band, Groundsman, I'd probably just destroying that name. Uh, That's about as close. It's as a three piece, man. Super <laughs> simple, and I'm sure somebody could 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 describe them better than I'm about to. Real chill, 
but real funky vibes. And they really, it's like some 70s, like laid back. I, I don't want to say disco because it's not fast. No, it's just yeah. really metal. I just, see the 70s kind of thing. The 70s just sidestepping this groovy, funky, chill music. And they are done to the nine. They got a girl bass player, a guy guitar player, and a drummer who never plays fills. Yeah, and it is yeah. the funkiest stuff. It just came across YouTube one day, and I was painting the basement. And I'm like, who is this? And I had a TV mounted on the wall, and I looked. They say, you know, an hour went by. I was just watching them, just playing this <laughs> stuff. I didn't know you guys were covered, and I'm covering any of it. I don't want to see you guys. I don't know yeah, if I've I, ever seen Chuba Covers play. I had play. not heard of the band before, uh, before some of the guys brought that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that group. Killer. And they're out there doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's such an original idea. I can't even describe it. And it's not that it is different. Than it's not even that it's like so complex or, or so uh, overwhelmingly new. It's just it's mesmerizing. Those cats are mesmerizing. I have to check them out. Yeah. And you were talking about the drummer never does any fills. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that it's a lot of it's about holding back and not, you know, going overboard with things. Now yeah. we're talking. Now we're going to get Now we're talking. <laughs> um, I agree with you a thousand percent. The reason I don't do it as much as I used to is because I'm old and tired. I actually, I still have the devil, the devil on the shoulder. And he's like, Hey man, play something in five right now, but land on everyone else's one. And I'll, and I'm like, shh, shh. You've been drinking. You're drinking too much right there. And this guy's like, dude, don't just hold it. Look at all these people nodding their heads. Yeah, cool. I hear you. Bro, play something in five and land on everyone else's one. And I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to do it, man. I'm not going to do it. And you know what I do? I end up doing it. And, you know, and I can't even land them as well as I used to. So I'm like, get out of here. All right. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me what it's like to live on on these shoulders. That's I I just want to, if that's not the clip for, for, for. For our audience, I don't know what it is. Because they have to see that visually as well as audibly. Like, he's literally looking at his shoulders. It's fantastic. I'm just telling you. That stuff still happens. Like, like, uh, Brock is one of the most talented players I've played with. I don't know. This is a great time to actually tell you. Um, and he showed up in the, so we can share this time. This is, this is a dilemma we have. Sometimes we want to, we're here, we're, you're in a band, it's grooving. And you're like, you know what? I got some ideas. Yeah. But as we get older and we work in many bands, that's not necessarily what it's about. It's about the experience of the listener. Yeah. Not us just like, you know, showing off. Like, hey, check out my gold chains. Hey, look, you know, look what I can do. Look what I got. It's not. Yeah. And you talk about that growing up and playing music. You talk about it. You don't really live it. The older I get, I live it more out of a necessity. Like, I just don't want to go throwing notes everywhere. But I still battle that. And um, back to you being one of the most talented guys I played with, uh, this cat comes in to play sax with the uh, the Michael Jackson tribute. Oh, You remember that? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I almost, I was like, yeah, I know this guy. And I had seen you play at Awful Arthur's back when I was touring with Stomp. I was in town for a couple of weeks or a week and saw you at Awful Arthur's with your entire rig. I didn't know who you were. Oh, well, the, when it was uh, at Towers. Had the Towers. One. Yeah, yeah, I came in, and, and somebody was like, "Hey, man, there's this guy in town to play this crazy stuff." I'm like, "Okay," and I went and watched. I mean, I just got me a beer. I went to the corner. I'm like, "Look at this dude." I met Brett, mm-hmm. um, and, and I just watched you guys kill it. And I'm like, "I can't. You guys are crazy." 
You well, I was great. super impressed with you. You came, you know, I thought you were a guitar player principally when I first. Oh yeah, because we met each other. You, you know, you were yeah, playing, playing guitar in that band. And I got to tell you that that band actually started to uh, recalculated my experience as a musician. I love playing spanky guitar. I yeah. love it. It's where I do not mm-hmm. fight this battle of hey, play something silly. I don't fight that battle. I'm like, no, just he doesn't live there. Just lay that funky stuff down. Brock comes in playing sax. And Michael Jackson music is quite complex. The the whole picture, the orchestration, harmonically, so it's really com- really complex. And I had to fight this beat it solo, and I could kind of do it. And then Brock played it one day, and I'm like, oh, thank God. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> because it's about the music. It's not about where you stand in, in the hierarchy of musician. It's about the music and the fact that you happen to be here. And I don't even think you knew that I'd seen you play. No, I'm telling you that story right now, which, you know. Anyway, we're just running our mouth. Are there more questions? No, that's another going. thing. It's actually, talking about like that, that beat it solo and stuff. That's that was a thing that, uh, you know, I really like when somebody brings something to me that's not my normal kind of thing. I was never really into tapping. Uh, I wasn't. I mean, Dan Halen's great, but I never was a big fan, um, just of that right. style of guitar as much. But uh, mm-hmm. but I loved doing it and taking on different, you know, different genres or just different styles. Yeah, well, being pushed to that. I, I played that solo publicly twice. And one time I saw this guy who I, here's what um, I got through it. I would never say I played a really good job. I also would say I never practiced it. I learned it and would never be like, I'm not going to hone this because I know I'm only going to do it once or twice a year. When the first year I played it, I watched human beings gravitate to the stage in anticipation of that solo. <laughs> And I don't really get very nervous anymore. Uh, even if I'm playing an instrument, I maybe shouldn't play. And and I watched this. And there, it wasn't about me being able to do it as much as it was. They have a connection to that song. Who doesn't have a connection to beat it? Yeah, yeah. And the story of Eddie Van Halen. And then my and, and he came up and and I did okay. And I, I remember I got through it. And I was happy with myself because it's not something I'm really that into. And I saw one of these, these people. I looked up. And I know his name. He'll remain nameless. He went... And he's not even a guitar player, really. And I was like, yeah, I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> but um, so that happened a couple of years. And then you joined the group. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then there were a couple of songs where we got to play guitar, guitar together. And yeah, just talk yeah. about, you know, putting you where you need to be in, in terms of whatever band you're playing. in. You plug in the holes. You plug in. Plug See, in I, I really appreciate it, especially from you from a rhythmic perspective. Uh, because I, and that's kind of what I'm on about, too, about the... Uh, as I get older, I'm focused more on rhythm mm-hmm. and than I am on playing a bunch of outside stuff or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, being a great percussionist, you know, that's, <laughs> you really nailed all the ri- things rhythmically. So yeah, what that. do you was, play in this group? Well, thanks. It was good. <laughs> it was fun. I wish we were still playing in that I, yeah, particular one. Like too, Halloween. It too. would be right now. We'd probably well, be rehearsing right, right that's now. Right. Sorry, Travis. No, no, no. It's We're fine. reminiscing. No, no, it's, no. You should. You've had all your bandmates on. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have. <laughs> That's so true. Um, I was. I was going to ask. So, what do you play in this curtain group? Uh, in Chupacabras? Yes, sir. Uh, I play. Uh, well, guitar and saxophone. Barry, I have the Barry mounted on a stand uh, that I play, so I can step up to it and uh, you know don't keep the guitar down. Um, and Smart. Then, <laughs> And then uh, some of the strange things I build with my feet, I, I have, even though I try not to carry as much anymore, I've condensed things <laughs> a lot. 
But uh, I call them foot keyboards, and I just use piezo sensors and build strange things to to play and you know fill in uh, because we've actually only got um, really three tonal rhythm section uh, people, and two of us are playing horns half the time. Also, uh, so a lot of times the bass player Jeff has to <laughs> carry things. Uh, Is that Jeff Hoffman? Jeff Hoffman? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, love that guy. We got to get oh, him yeah, on. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's very talented. Oh yeah, Dude, talented. there's so many. And, and it's another uh, person so I've actually said the same thing. Like I was just saying to you that it, one thing that really left me about Jeff is I, I I said Jeff always makes the right decision, you know, when playing bass, and that's so I, I respect that so much, <coughs> especially being a guitar player that's done a lot of bass gigs in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, to appreciate not sounding like a guitar player. Uh, a bass player not sounding like a guitar player and making the right choice for the music instead of maybe noodling around and doing something that's not appropriate. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And inappropriate. Just master that. I mean, he's just always right on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that you've talked a, a lot about, even pre-show, just the the creative side of music for you and how that's that's your language. And um, do, do, you, do you think that... Um, when you're when you're up there and you're playing all these these fun little trinkets and things that you're doing that like you've made you you've made for 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 the audience, do you think people notice those things or? Yeah, people always come up and ask me about that. And the wind <laughs> instrument, uh, I incorporate a wind instrument, and then I have ways I can play it with the guitar. And uh, so people always ask me for <laughs> years, "What is that thing?" Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because they don't know. I mean, you even said in your bio, like, you created this whole, like, self-modified, I mean, some drum stands, some guitar, some sax part. Oh, that yeah, that was kind of the beginning of it, I guess. Which was, it, really, a lot of it was initially out of a necessity. Uh, I, when I first moved out to L.A., um, we were looking for a bass player for a long time. It got to the point where the keyboard player got really good at his, with his left hand, and uh, I would start playing the actual the four string bass uh, so, on certain songs. So my little brother went to went to JMU and he uh-huh. he got to play with Kansas uh, as a trumpet player. They came there and played, and that was the first time I ever saw a guitar player have a guitar on a stand. And it was like the oh, coolest. Yeah, yeah. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen because he was still able to hold his electric guitar, but he was able to walk up and play the acoustic guitar that was on the stand. So I'm like. I, I'm envisioning all of these different neat things that you've created to to help you play multi-instrumental on stage and, like, how how neat that is. It was all really just to create different sonic uh, possibilities. I know, but I don't th- – I, I bring um, that up because I don't think that the – I hope that the audience appreciates the, the work that goes into that because I appreciate that as a musician just by, just by adding my triangle beater on my – on my drum set and like how, how much that, that makes me happy, you know, because I get to play triangle now when, when I'm playing drum set, but like how much work goes into the create, the creativity of it. So much. A ridiculous. (laughs) I've spent, I'm sure years and years building crazy things that half of which never saw the light of day. Things, you know, a lot of things don't work right. And, you know, know, I, it's, I I couldn't even begin to estimate. I I think I've been kind of giddy all day. Uh, and I think I, I just figured out why. Because, I mean, I love doing the podcast. We record, what, every two weeks about. Yeah. Sometimes we'll do a couple in a row. And I knew you were coming on today, and I've been doing other stuff. 
it really hasn't been on my mind. But uh, in terms of creativity and just how drawn to the art of making music that you are, like there's no boundaries. And that might have been what happened to me when I saw you play 10 years ago at Awful Arthur's. I'm like, this dude is in it. And I feel the same way about myself, like so much so that, you know, I don't necessarily make the right decisions. I can be a bit irresponsible. Not so much more. I've got a family now, but I would, I could be, I would be financially irresponsible just because I had to create something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I feel like we're kindred spirits at that Definitely. level. And every time I see it, like, I don't, you know, we've hung out a significant amount of times, but I'd say less than 10, maybe yeah, 15. But I feel like we're friends when I see you. So th- I, I just think was- <laughs> this is my first time, and yeah. you've been in the the seat that where it's been the first time for you meeting a guest. And like mm-hmm. to me, it's it's just so inspirational. Like it's so inspirational to to just hear the work and the cool efforts to. And I I hope I didn't offend you by saying the word trinket because you. T- oh no! Because no, no, <laughs> no, no. like that's that's yeah. that's what it that to me that's what they are like, and no one understands. I don't think the audience understands very much, and I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that they start to appreciate and see those things, and um, just the little nuances that we do up on stage to appease and to please them, <laughs> you know. And that's it takes a lot of effort and time. And so, like, just hearing you two talk, it's like I'm I'm sitting back here just smiling, and it's <laughs> exciting for me. So, so no, I think it's really inspirational for for younger players who are still just making a name in in this town. And, and like, we, we've talked a lot about where you've played outside of here, but talk talk about playing here in Roanoke. What's what's that been like for you? Um, obviously, it's very probably been different, but talk about that. And I'm sure it's been good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, fantastic. I, I'm always saying how amazed I am at for a small city that there are so many fantastic musicians around here. The music scene is there should be a incredible. button press for that. To clap. You want to clap on that one? <laughs> <laughs> I got it right. We're so proud. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, you said that organically when, our, when we have a little pre-show, pre-show snack, pre-show and I am, I'm always degree. telling people that when I talk to my friends back in L.A., I tell them that, and, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, there's just so many... Uh, so many like you really, wouldn't expect it. You wouldn't expect it. No. Yeah, we're not saying creme de la creme. We're just saying it's just such a giant community of it. I mean, you got a lot of people and playing a lot of gigs. Roanoke's really grown in that sense in the ten years I've been here. When I first moved here, I really kind of thought Blacksburg had the better scene mm. at first, uh, and now it's kind of shifted. You know, yeah, yeah. Roanoke's booming. I think with music. You think that's because of the breweries? I think it's because of a couple of places, maybe, uh, but it, I, I guess the couple of places shutting down that were open when I first moved here, anyway, mm. and then they never. Blacksburg had a couple really hot spots in the last few decades. Uh, Southeast Maine, Southeast, is that what it's called? Southeast Maine? Yeah. Some, just some really dope clubs. I mean, you just add them to your circle. You could be in an original band around here, and you wouldn't make a living but you would make your rounds and you would play and you could, you could sculpt your craft. Yeah. Um, I remember that. And Blacksburg had a couple of really key places. That's the only one I remember for some reason. You're getting old. Oh yeah. Tell you're, me about you're it. You're getting old over here. <laughs> you guys aren't that old. You guys aren't that old. My first move here, there was an awfuls. Awful uh, Arthur's? In Blacksburg. And yeah. Played there oh, that's right. several times, but it shut down. Uh, so you saw him in the one at Towers, which is no longer there. Yeah, and then it became Growlers for a little while. That's, yeah, could have been Growlers. And now or, it's yeah, the barbecue place. So right, yeah. I don't know. This man had a rig. 
And I was like, look at this crazy dude. I was just, I just eyeballed him because I, I, I thought, with all due respect, he's crazier than me. <laughs> I can verify that. <laughs> so now I want to know how much stuff you have. Oh, it's, Lord. It's ridiculous and how many I'm constantly building some other rig. But, you know, really where a lot of it came from, at least the initial idea in my head, was to get closer to a sense of improvisation where you don't have to have as much communication, um, which is kind of the idea behind the solo thing, too, when I was doing that, although I never wanted to do that exclusively because music is all about playing with other musicians, too. So, But a lot of it was just about trying to create sort of improvised form uh, as well as just harmonic and melodic structure um, to be able to just kind of go off in any direction on a whim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that was kind of the main. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this thesis out there right now that Uh-oh. that Brock. How much this beer's left? No. Here, here's where the thesis Brock, come. Brock, here's Brock, the th- thesis line. <laughs> uh, Brock improvises every time he goes on stage with what he's doing instrumentally, as well as what he plays. So like he gets up there and he's like, I'm gonna add these uh these little bells on my toes, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play them right like do that next. Yeah, so there you go. No, I think that's really I think you're ever changing. You're a chameleon, man. Like you're you're com- constantly changing to the environment. And I, again, I I saw you at uh, Elmwood Park. Um, uh-huh. you you guys played down there. I, I can't remember what festival it was, but you had you had dancers on stage and it was it was a wild. Oh, with chupacabras. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, wild. Yeah. It was wild. I was like, "This yeah, is the this dancers is, going on. This is nuts." Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. And, but nobody does that. <laughs> nobody does that. And that's I, I. I love how different you guys are, because everybody. Thanks. Yeah, that's that's what I love about that band. Um, it's it's unique to definitely anything I've ever. Played. And I'm I am not trying to step on anybody's toes or upset anybody when I say this, but like there's so many rock bands and so many country bands and there's bluegrass and that's what this area is. And I love that about this area. I did classic rock with my group house of Schmidt for eight years and we did fairly well and I, I enjoyed it, but, but it's so nice to hear and see other groups with other ideas. So, yeah. Oh yeah. I know exactly what you mean. That's what I'm always looking for (laughs) in music anyway. Other people's. So so, what's what's next for you? We've talked uh, talked about your past. Talk about what you're doing now. What what's uh, what's on on the docket for you? Where what are your ideas? Um, where where where's Brock going? Uh, I wish I knew that. I, I really do. <laughs> but um, uh, I've been playing a lot with uh, the band Ripe Jive now uh, mm-hmm. the past few months, um, which is uh, oh I mispronounced really that. Sorry guys. Oh, it's I okay. I, I heard somebody say that, say yeah. it that way. Uh, I thought it was Rip Chat. My bad. Or two ago. They're, they're both cool. Yeah. That's right, Chat. Yeah. Makes me think of that 80s TV show. Who's? Tied. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So who's in this group? Uh, George Penn is a drummer. And oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Nick Kalen, who was the bass player in my band Earth uh, uh, arrangement here. And uh, Aaron No plays the keyboard at Oregon. How is that? I know that name. Does he play in another? They were all the first musicians I met here, actually. Uh, they oh. had a band called Ho Pop uh, at the time. Uh, I typed in uh, Funk Roanoke. I Googled Funk Roanoke, and it came up. The one thing that came up was uh, this place in Blacksburg. Uh, Attitudes, it was called. And I it remember, did shut down yeah. shortly after that. I may have played there once. 
Are they are they Blacksburg guys? Are they in New mostly, River? mostly. Are you living in New River, New River Valley right now? I live in Franklin County. Okay, that's right. I knew that near Callaway. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks for driving all the way out of here. <laughs> oh yeah, like I said, I, I love living out in the country so much. Man, I can just look at see deer walking around, and you know, in the city, you see a deer. Somebody sees a deer, and they're like, "Oh my god!" You know, like, yeah, look yeah. at that. But uh, yeah, I we, love it. I, I don't have any desire to move back to a large city again yeah we we just bought a house last year and i love it but we got a big old backyard for the we got like almost an acre and we're right off williamson road mm-hmm. which you know just an acre but there's this giant buck that lives back there i take photos of and put them on facebook sorry guys and there, here's jeremy <laughs> posting this buck but i i get really close to him i know Re- i see it. really close and he looks at me like this <laughs> I want a picture of that. He doesn't do anything. And I, I like, so I'm like, all right, am I going to try to get closer? And this dude on his shoulder is like, just go five feet closer. And I walk closer. And he stares at me. Anyway, <laughs> enough about me. I would like to live out in the country, too. I like seeing this deer. That's the point being. I'm like, man, look at these and guys. Turkey and rabbits and it's all awkward. that kind of things I never get to see. <laughs> so uh, talk about balancing the, the groups that you play in and what's that like for you? Um, you, you're obviously extremely talented and, um, you play, sound like you play a lot. So what's, what's scheduling like, what's practicing like for you guys? Uh, really just whatever, uh, I book first, um, first come first serve. Yeah. The rehearsal kind of depends uh, with a couple of bands. It's especially troop covers right now with, uh, Patrick being up in Philadelphia and the trumpet player, um, it's a little, been a little bit more difficult. That's why we main reason we've slowed down a bit. Sure, on playing this year, um, but mainly I just I like that I'm able to play in several bands that are very different genre wise and all genres that I love. Uh, like the Ripe Jive thing is very straight ahead funk, instrumental funk, um, and then Lazy Man is you know reggae, uh, which I love playing mm-hmm. reggae too, and I, I just play Barry. Uh, Dude, that sounds so fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great for my uh, not having to carry too much Dude, stuff, just too. like uh, I was talking to Travis about, I've been playing, studying more ukulele. Yes, you can study it, yes. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And, and like, I'm like, man, I think I was I was out with Leilani on date night last week, and I was like, hey, listen. Because she goes, she goes, I like the song you're writing on the ukulele. I'm like, okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, I get uncomfortable. I'm like, okay, thanks. I'm going to go write it anyway. And I'm like, I said, but listen. I like playing it. I might just hang up the drums. And she's like, shut up. You're not going to do it. But the idea of just carrying a ukulele to the studio or carrying someone, I'm like, it's so different. It's it's worth lying to myself for five minutes. Going, Maybe I just been play ukulele. I don't carry any drums. Because carrying all this stuff around, and that's coming from a drummer, and you do it with all kinds of stuff. So yeah. well, I used to have such a ridiculous rig. Uh <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just it, trying just to, f- to be the creative energy that you have. Uh, I identify with, and I'm, I'm again, I'm glad you're here. So it's it's something that you can only really harness by um, listening to, like your own creative desire. Like you know what, I'm gonna carry this in. I'm gonna set this up. And I'm gonna play this tonight. It's I think people overlook that. Like Travis was saying earlier, overlook some of the work that we put in that goes behind the goes oh, on yeah. behind the scenes, and we probably overdo it. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. I'm okay with that. I want to know how. What's your longest setup for just you as an individual? 
Oh, like wow. How long, how long did it take? No, I'm, I'm really curious about um, that. I, I mean, maybe an hour, but uh, in the past, uh, the other thing is I, I used to have to troubleshoot a lot. Like, sure. Uh, I used a lot of software instruments out of laptop for a while, mm-hmm. and um, I do a lot with MIDI programming, just basic kind of Boolean programming um, to basically switch different things and instruments and stuff like that. So there's... Actually printed out the code once, and it was two big binders like this thick. <laughs> that's how much. That's that's how much ridiculous amount of time I spent on that. <laughs> Talking about that earlier. Gosh, I, but, I um, played with a guitar player and and a keyboard player. This guy, he'll spend hours uh, just trying to figure out tones and and songs for 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 our band. And it's, yeah, yeah. And it's it, it is a main. It's astronomical how much time you can spend on that. Dude, it, oh, tone, yeah. tone, yeah. tones, tones, and yeah. I mean, I bought a Helix, and like I could spend, I could spend hours on that. Is that like the Line yeah. Six Helix? The, yeah, I got. A you stomp. bought one of those. I got a Stomp. I got a smaller version oh. of it. So, I when so, uh, I use modelers now always too. That's another way way I don't have to carry. Well, yeah. Uh, when I when I started playing guitar in public, which was in, in Vegas, actually, aside from like the occasional wedding, um, I enjoyed the tone. I never understood the cho- tone chasing, and that started tone chasing, and would go to stores and try different. Uh, pedals and then blend pedals together, and I'm like, this is so fun. It doesn't it doesn't matter what you play. It's like, what kind of sound can you create? Like, what yeah, kind of colors yeah. can you blend? When it comes to drums and whatnot, I barely even tune them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I just don't prefer it. But I didn't understand cho- tone chasing until then, and now uh, it takes up so much time. Like it's a factor in the gigs that I take and don't take. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, mm, no, I don't think I have time to do that correctly. I'm not going to, when I get home, I want to hang out with my daughter. I'm not going to go pull out this and that and plug it together and see if it sounds good. Well, I, I do miss it, but man, it is, like you said, astronomical. Astronomical. The, the amount of time you put into it. Oh, yeah. And any, from the outside looking in, let's say somebody's friend comes over or, or a buddy comes over, like, what are you doing? And you know how you're so, like, zeroed in on it. You're like, mm-hmm. I'll be, hang on, man. And to them, it's every, every choice you make might sound similar. And to you, you're like, no, just pull that treble down a little bit. We need a more chorus, right? Yeah. Nope, not that. No. And you, let's see how this sounds with the whole, the band. Okay. Nope. And got it. Like, it takes so much time. You you have a history with engineering, right? Like, I, I yeah, could have sworn. Yeah, I have a bachelor's degree in audio engineering. Okay. Where did you get yeah. that from? Uh, University of Memphis. Okay. I thought I saw After that. After I did my I performance I studies, I transferred there. And my uh, ex-wife wanted to go there, too, for, uh, and I was able to get in-state tuition because I'm originally from there nice and uh but which back then was nothing nothing you know? and they ha- actually had one of the only uh audio programs in the country at that time uh that offered a bachelor's degree hmm. wow so um it was a good program you think that really helps with the creativity too i mean you understand the the actual sound i've always been tearing apart electronic things as long as i can remember okay so uh it, it definitely helped me uh to be able to tear things apart more efficiently well, that's that's fair. <laughs> Tear things apart more efficiently. Well, I'm I'm sure you have uh, a, an appreciation for the sound guy that's running. Oh yeah, your and stuff I always too. try yeah. to make things as easy as especially <laughs> yeah. with my weird rigs. I always try to make it as easy for the sound guys. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel guilty? You feel a little guilt oh, yeah, from time yeah. to time. Yeah. yeah, I do too. Not I, so much anymore because I my rig's not as crazy. Not as crazy. I need a 16 channel snake just for me, please. You know? <laughs> yeah, and like what you were talking about with the kind of tunnel vision, 
when I was setting up, especially and trying to dial things in, I when I had the giant rigs, I was especially bad with this. And I would tell people, try just don't talk to me. <laughs> no, you trying to not, tell them that? What I say is not going to make any sense because I can't think of anything else. You know, and like I said, a lot of times you're having to troubleshoot things right before. <laughs> and, uh, when you're, you know, experimenting with all these different things. So I, I'll forget people's names. I'll have no idea <laughs> what's going on other than just trying to focus on getting things. So. Oh, man. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> I'm not sure 100% why, but I'm so happy. Love it. Love Me it. too. <laughs> what, um, my brother uh, is an avid listener, and he's um, he's getting his doctoral degree right now. He uh, he's he wanted me to ask this question. I really love it. W- what does practice look like for you? Uh, I always try to be structured in my practice time. I don't always achieve that. <laughs> you know? yeah. But I mean, I think it's important to, to set aside <laughs> a certain amount of time and um, and try to be structured with it at least at least going that way a lot of times. So do you still practice? Oh, yeah. yeah. You do? I, I don't practice the horn enough, I admit. I was going to ask what he choose. All, you know, constantly. Yeah, I thought you. I, I thought there's a possibility you might go, mm, I don't really practice anymore. I just play a whole lot, which a lot no, of I people mean, there's, do. There's always so much to learn. Though. Nobody can ever learn everything yeah. about music. And it's totally. Less about l- learning, but actually honing your crafts. Or so I, I don't get to, and I've of late I've been feeling guilty about it. I'm like, let me try to find some time to do what I'm best at instead of just because I put time in, into it in the past. Instead of just assuming that I'll be good every time because that's not the case. Um, but you still practice, which is amazing. Uh, I don't practice a lot of that old solo stuff as much. Which, yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, I may have to fill in on bass uh, with the chupacabras thing soon mm. that Jeff might not be able to make. And okay. uh, so I'm kind of rebuilding my old bass and guitar rig mm-hmm. for that. Um, but I haven't done that in a long time. Basically. Yeah. But <laughs> you're still practicing, though. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I think, I think you know. And I still write things like that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably my biggest distraction is a lot of times I'm, I sit down to practice and I will a little bit. And, yeah, and then yeah. I'll start thinking about something and write a song and mm-hmm. Hours have gone by. Yeah, I'll I'll go to practice on occasion, and what I end up doing is just writing things that I like. Yeah, it's like less. It, it's not formally structured. Structured. There's no syllabus. There's no. Um, you know, I'm not chasing anything. So. Yeah, but it's good to hear. So we had Jeff Midkiff on a couple of weeks ago, and I I can bet you that he still practices all the time. Yeah, we asked him this question. He said that he he does what he can when he can. He eat, eat like 20 minutes a night. Yep. Yeah. And where where just touch it, just yeah, t- touch yeah. instrument. Where I have to set aside time, and I'm more focused on practice now than I ever have been. So, what are you laughing at, Ryan? <laughs> All right, so <laughs> production manager, over here laughing. <laughs> um, what is it that you love uh, most about being on stage? Um, well, I've always thought of it as a definitely a symbiotic experience with the audience. It's all about kind of a cycle, a cycle of feeding. Everyone feeds everything else. I mean, I don't think if I were to stand up there by myself with no crowd, there would be no music, you know? Right. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, repeat. <laughs> no, I, what, what do you love most about being on stage? Oh, oh, well, the, to me, your answer was. My favorite was... thing I think in the world is when uh, afterwards, 
someone comes up to you and tells you how they were really, and you can always tell if they were really moved, you know, rather than just, oh, great show, man, you know, or whatever. Um, that's the best feeling in the world to me. Mm -hmm. When you've really moved somebody emotionally, and I mean, that's why I do it. You know? Yeah. That's you, everything. You first were starting, I felt like you were starting to say, it's just being on stage with people you love and care about is where I that thought too. you were going. That too, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you've talked, and, uh, you've talked quite a bit about the brotherhood of your groups. And yeah, and I think it's so important uh, just to listen to everybody. But, you know, I, I've certainly been in things in the past years ago where uh, there wasn't much listening going on. It's easy. He said years ago to not incriminate any of these bands he's playing with <laughs> right now. Years ago. <laughs> many, many moons ago. No, but seriously, like, it's it takes work. Oh, that yeah. that part yeah. takes just as much work as what we do on stage. Yeah. And I don't, again, I don't think uh, some of our audience realizes, understands that. Um, that's, that brotherhood, sisterhood is just as important. One of my Absolutely. favorite things about getting off, about being on stage is actually getting off of it as well. I'm not uh, <laughs> trying to be, you know, deliberately provocative. I feel so called to do it. And when people are having a good time, I just, I love it. And it's so much not about me. It used to be growing up. Yeah. And <clears throat> I don't know when that happened, but I realized that that was not the case and it never was the case. And yeah. being that vessel is an honor. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and it really is. Uh, it I mean, really I, is. I always, and no bullshit. I always think it's, oh. my, I'm the only thing in the way, you know, if I can get out of the way and just let the music happen, that's where beautiful things. Yep. Happen. Yeah. Which takes a lot of practice. And yeah. that particular statement you just made and what we're talking about now takes experience. It's just not about so much so that I've had people come up and give compliments. And you probably had this happen. Like, Hey, that was great. And you're almost aloof with the compliment. Like, Thanks. Cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. There's an experience hat. There's this people watch this music be played and you saw people gather um, in unity, not, not divisiveness, not argue about politics, not argue about bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're in music and you're doing it, you should know that it's ultimately what you're doing. Yeah. Sorry, I mean, sorry yeah. to break the news. Speaking a universal language. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, great, great answer. And I, 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 uh, I relate to the one with being on stage with, with brothers and sisters. I, yeah, I, I really enjoy that. And I like leading that too. Um, yeah, yeah. Just being a part of that. It's, it's very fun. I played me. in a drum group with my brother and I'm here to say that's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Justin. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. One of, uh, one of my final questions this, this, this evening, what, do you have any suggestions to our younger listeners on a career in music in this valley, va uh, in this valley, valley, that ba 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 valley? <laughs> Damn, we about to get to the, we had the yeah. thesis. The thesis. And, uh, <laughs> we're going to get to the dissertation. Valley. One more beer and we got a dissertation, dissertation. coming out of uh, uh, One thing I've, I've always said to people that I learned, had to learn early on the hard way, is don't spread yourself too thin, um, especially if you've got, you know, one group that you're focused on, don't play just as many gigs as you can possibly book. Because then, uh, I mean, well, especially in a small area like here, but even in large area like L.A., people aren't going to, you know, you want to get the bigger crowd. You don't want to just do gigs just because you can book them. Um, and uh, I had another thought in my head before that. I love that answer. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a brilliant answer. 
if you don't want to come up with the other one. <laughs> it really is. I, I, to this day, to this very moment in time, spread myself too thin, and I know. And I've made concerted efforts to not do so, and I still do it. I think it's a brilliant answer. Do you feel like you oh, said that? I'm sorry. Okay, I, no, I was go ahead. Say, the other thing I was going to say is don't uh, sell yourself short uh, money-wise. You know, don't just don't do a bunch of free gigs. I mean, it's maybe okay when you first start, when you're a kid, you first start playing, but um, you have to kind of set a minimum. And uh, There's got to be a progression, right? Yeah, so otherwise you, it's you okay to take a few. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we've talked about that quite a bit. So back to your first answer. <laughs> do you think you said that because... Um, groups around here, uh, or just groups in general, play the same stuff all the time. And you said you were talking about playing to a bigger audience and not taking as many gigs. I think there are groups out here just like so eager to just play all the time, but they play the same set every time. Oh yeah, yeah. And so, um, for me, that was that was a no no with House of Schmidt. I I made sure that we never play the same set twice. Yeah, I agree with you. I I always tried to tried to do that, and not especially when I was doing the set lists more. I wasn't very um, liked by my members sometimes because <laughs> we would we would have to learn and and well, pra- sure, it's easier to do it the other. Yeah, way. it is, it is. But I I think I think we had more audience participation because they knew that they were going to come out and see a different show though too. So the people that would show up the first time would come up come to see the second time and would still be just as excited as the first time. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. I, you I could play the same set in pink skirts, and it's a different show, right? <laughs> You're exactly right. I'm just going to use that. I'm not saying I want to wear... Actually, I think... I'm not saying I want to play the same already, set. Uh, Are Patrick's you playing devil's advocate with your left shoulder again? <laughs> that, no, he's the devil. <laughs> he's not the advocate. He's the devil. <laughs> Go-betweens here. So, no, no, I live with him. He's like, no, nobody will know. <laughs> They're going to know. Ryan, I hope you're getting every moment of where he's talking to his left shoulder. <laughs> every moment down, please. I mean, that's that's those are really great answers. Uh, so, um, so the part we're we're about to hit you right now is called the Buddy Gauntlet. So, welcome to the Buddy Gauntlet, where I Jeremy's going to ask you three questions that I didn't prompt you with. Alrighty. When I started playing music in this town, there were bands at the Iroquois that played stuff just like that. (laughs) (laughs) Just like this. Top red button. The Buddy Gauntlet. These are going to be good. You know what they are if you've heard the the, podcast. uh, Iroquois. I've heard people mention Where was it? Yeah. Salem? Salem. I've heard people mention that. Yeah. Is that Salem? I thought it was... Yeah, maybe. I don't want to answer. Go over the bridge on Williamson, take a ride. Is the first one Salem? I've lived here my whole life. There's Salem. There's say camp. that one more time for me slower. Did I say it too fast? <laughs> for me. Yeah, you go, you're going downtown. You're going. <laughs> Travis needs another Stella Artois. <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm fine. I know. Fine. I love it. Uh, so you're, you're coming down Williamson? You pass uh, Civic Center. You go to Little Bridge. You're going to downtown. Take that first right that puts you in downtown. Is that Salem? I've lived here uh, my whole life and don't know. It's embarrassing. Salem or Campbell? You should know better than me. <laughs> okay, cool. So I'm not the only one. Oh, Salem, know. okay. I thought you were talking it's about It's that road. Not Salem okay, the City. Okay. Salem it's, Avenue. It's that road. Uh, okay. You go down about a mile. Yeah. It's on the left. There's, okay, a, okay. there's a BJJ gym near there now. Um, man, what a play. Guar played there. Rage oh, yes. Yeah. Rage Against the Machine played there. All kinds of folks played there. We need my, Dave McGraw on this, on this podcast. He'll tell us everybody that played there. 
What are you saying? Is uh, that, I was just saying, I'll never forget when I first heard of Gore. Uh, they go went way back. This when I was in high school, and my buddy who had the he had the big mohawk with all the, you know, the spikes, <laughs> the and spikes. Spikes. blue and the yeah. different colored cone hawk. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, I went into his room, and he was a little kind of burnt out. <laughs> okay, you know, funny, I, great, I hear funny you. guy to hang out. But um, and he's got this pile of clothes with all this gunk all over it in the floor, and I'm, and I said, uh, Matt, what's all that? What's what's going on with that acquired clothes? And he's like, Oh, I went to Gore last night. <laughs> like, what's that? You know, and he's like, Yeah, they spray. Uh, well, uh, I'll keep it. Uh, <laughs> Spray various things uh, all over you. It's fluid. It's fluid. What is that about? (laughs) But that was just my first. uh, Yeah, Virginia's very proud of Guar. (laughs) I don't. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave Brocky, rest his soul. Um, the buddy gauntlet. Top three influences of your musical career. Only three. Uh. (laughs) What makes Brock? What makes exactly? Uh, That's the point. What makes Brock Brock (laughs) musically? Um, I guess I'd have to say better. Brock. What makes yeah? Who are what makes Brock Brock musically? Like, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) You like that questioning, that formatting of that question? Yeah, because that's really what I'm asking. But we're asking it this way. way. Um, well, I guess uh, definitely Frank Zappa, Herbie Hancock, uh, probably uh, uh, well, it's hard to. Either the JBs or Tower of Power. Yeah. <laughs> I love it when people do this. Either. But I'll go with. Uh, no, no, you don't. Have, no, you do. Yeah, the J- we'll, we'll honor it. I go with the, the JBs because there were so many different bands. Or Tower of Power. Um, I love how this unfolded because, I mean, I get it. I played a few gigs with you. I watched you play. I get it. Zappa, Hancock, and. Uh, we did our drum round table and we said, who's your favorite drummer? You only get one. And Mason Janelle, Janelle got like five drummers. And he was like, man, or the whole point is like, is to put you on the spot and to make you think, like, who is your favorite? Not that your favorite really matters that much in, in the end game, but it's hard. I know that I don't want to be asked that question because I got like 13. Yeah, there's so many <laughs> yeah, I yeah. say that definitely. But I see the Zappa, Hancock, JBs, or Tower of Power. I see it. I, I feel like I could have answered it, but no, nah, I'm probably couldn't. I was very obsessed with all those at one point. At least. Man, <laughs> when um when Rocket came out, Herbie mm-hmm. Hancock, and there's a oh, lot yeah. of a lot of Hancock fans that were not necessarily interested. And I was seven years old. Yeah, I was it, uh, probably like nine. The guy that got my uh, was dating my mom. He said, "Here, give this to your son. I heard he likes to break dance." And I got it and I put it in. And I was like, "Mom." He's the one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, I was break guy. dancing back then, too. Were you really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Dude, we, Houston, we, and, uh, <laughs> we got, you know, we've had dancers. So Kenny C's a dancer. He didn't even let, let on to it. Kenny C was a sponsored break dancer at one point. Um, I was a mediocre break dancer at best, but in my younger years, it looked a lot better because I was a little boy. Like those who dance, I think, play. Well, yeah, with I, that, I can't do caterpillars or <laughs> no? Do not. I don't anymore, do any of it anymore. No, no, no by no means. <laughs> I can barely well, roll Rocket, out of bed. It actually probably was the first Herbie I ever heard. Really, when I was a kid. Yeah, so um, I didn't have a lot of different music at home, um, and I, I'm that almost definitely unless it was some, like Fat Albert, some of the Fat Albert things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, my, being a drummer, like, and I've talked about this on the podcast, like, I didn't, I still don't really like jazz music, right? I, I appreciate it. And, um, uh, <clears throat> it's just not okay to not really dig into jazz as a drummer, especially a drum kit player, uh, and at least not look at the history. And Mike Clark, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he's not on that album, but I found Herbie and I started going backwards a little later in life. And I'm like, this guy's just a funky drummer playing oh, yeah. kind of a jazz orchestration. And because of that dude, I actually dug deeper and I could, he, he bridged it for me. I could appreciate it. And then I went down the road of jazz independence, which I'm sharing with you now, but it's all because of Herbie Hancock via Mike Clark, these paths. Um, am I talking that too just, much? That just no. made me think there was a guy that at the baked potato actually that played with uh, Don Randy's band quest. At the, uh, okay. Took over. All of Mike Clark's gigs when he went on tour with the with the Herbie, Rangers. yeah, back in the early seventies. Yeah, man, that, I I think that that's a good place to start for for people who are having uh, an issue with the complexities of jazz. I think I think Herbie's a great. Not to say he's not complex, was well, so to, versatile too. It's I mean, versatile. He went through so many. I mean, even I'd say more than Miles, really, uh, as far as different. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. different yeah. genres and different things he did. I got a few. A few CDs in in my book. Do we CDs? We can say CDs. I got, I got a CD book because I don't have. No one has. <laughs> I pulled it. out the hat CD the other day. I still have a lot of CDs. <laughs> no one has MP3s. Do we? Can you have them if they're living on a hard? You can't. Are you really? Are we in the Matrix? <laughs> Is that what those things? Are? Your top <laughs> question number two. Your top non musical influence. Um. Uh, I don't know. I, to me, music is just like an analog of life. So I think of kind of all of life as the influence that creates all of music. Um, I don't know that there's You're something. You're saying music is your influence? Life is This music. is top non-musical <laughs> influence. <laughs> yeah, I think, and, uh, I think. I think that's a fair answer. <laughs> I've already written it down. Yeah, I wrote music. I think he said life. Life, life isn't. Because it's really just a reflection of life and everything. <laughs> I think he's alive. So, yeah, um, you're just saying being alive. Yeah. is Yeah. My brother over here doesn't have a choice. He's just such a creative guy. It's in his blood. <laughs> um, yeah, we should talk about that. We'll talk about it after the podcast. Name one opinion that has changed for you that you used to be dead set on. Uh, I'm talking complete 180. It could be anything. So many things. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so pick one. I mean, I think I'm always changing my mind about things. Because uh, mm. I think we don't know much <laughs> in general. And uh, every time you learn something, I mean, that's what. Um, oh, I know something. Uh, sleep. I have, uh, in the last couple of years, kind of uh, clued me into that a little better, that it's important to get Correct me. I'm not so good at it still, but I'm trying better. Uh, I used to think uh, I used to think it, it, sleeping was just a waste of time, and it, the better you can do, you know, sleep three hours and then stay up and you're doing stuff instead mm-hmm. of wasting time sleeping. Okay. But and especially getting older, you know, it, it's it's very important. That's <laughs> is there? There's something in the rafters. Is there? A, yeah. Is there a chupacabra? A <laughs> yeah, it could be there. in the rafters. <laughs> I don't know. I heard something. <laughs> they followed me. I don't know. Is the uh, goat sucker in I the house? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, 
Yeah, you're right. I we could have we could have many more conversations about all that stuff. Oh yeah. Sleep is super important. It is where you recover. I don't I'm not gonna go on one of my things. But it's very, very important. The yogis yeah. could do without it. But if I don't get the right amount of sleep before the show, it just puts me in the complete wrong space. Right. I understand. Good for you for learning that now. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than even more later. Only took most of my life. Man, I just bought this smartwatch. So I finally joined the droves of those wearing the uh-huh. irritating wrist vibrator. <laughs> hey, did you get that? Uh, Man, let me tell you all about that, that. Does the uh, the what? I don't know. There's some kind of drummer vibration thing. Oh, that the thing one that keeps the tempo for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let me tell you about this little shit right here. Um, <laughs> That thing actually, uh, it's called the Soundbrenner. I want one, but I'm okay. not, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pay full price for it. I'm just not gonna do it. I've never actually seen one. In person. Um, this, I, I questioned how good it would, it would work, right? Well, so this thing alerts me when something ha- happens on, um, on Facebook. This guy, <laughs> and it's, and it's so distracting. So I was teaching lessons today. I had a piano lesson, and, and I was like, so what you want to do is, well, you talk about immediate focus on the slightest little vibration on my wrist. Mm. And I, I'm not liking that part of it, but I'm like, man, I can only imagine the pulse being right there. So I've, I've, I know I'm totally wrong. Like it might be worth looking into that if I need to have a metronome on my wrist. But this, this thing, man, it's, it. I'm just sorry. I'm just rambling about it. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> I turned it off before we started the podcast because the moment your wrist vibrates, I'm just staring at it all the time. It's a distraction. It's yeah, a distraction. I'm, I'm still not, too not, not very good with the social media. and I'm awful um, with it. I'm still only on even Facebook. I'm not even on Instagram. Dude, I'm old. I'm old. And I had to be forced to do that. Old man, <laughs> old man AF. Even yeah. so, Facebook is sort of uh, dating itself these days. I hear. I hear a right, lot. A lot right. of people I are like, "Hey, listen, for a while, switch mm-hmm. over." And I'm like, mm, "I just got used to it." And it's necessary for what we do. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. I think I may have gotten a little burnt out in the when I was a kid in the '80s. I was like the little. I was like the war games kid. <laughs> right. I was obsessed with computers, and I actually ran social media sites. We didn't call it that then, but we called them bulletin boards and okay. chat rooms and all that when I was like 12. So, uh, wow. And it was really, it was mostly 12 year olds, uh, you know, writing things. And I don't know, I guess sometimes social media uh, makes me kind of come back to that. Or oh, think about we can that, have a whole other podcast. Experience. It's crazy. Podcast. I mean, it's, it, it's doing such good things for so many people. Yeah. yeah there a are, lot of people oh, can be heard fantastic now. aspects to it. It's people. mostly the, I guess, the big ones like Facebook. That well, this podcast, this podcast would be where it would be without, without Facebook. So, yeah, we, with yeah, the we platform, appreciate yeah. that. So, I get so. it. I'm still a fan of MySpace. Yeah, Amen, <laughs> Amen to that. Brock, do you want to set up this song we're about to play, everybody? Before we, uh, uh yeah, sure. It's uh, called "Feet of the Beast." It's one I wrote for uh, Chupacabras, and uh, it's a live performance we did. Um, I don't know if the video, or I think I gave you the. Yeah, we're good to go. On the video? Okay, yeah. okay. So we'll take care of it for you. Right. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Beats, Bruise, and Buddies. Uh, we want to give a big thanks to Brock. So thanks Thank for coming out, so man. Yeah, we really appreciate you Thanks, guys. brother. You guys, we'll see you next time. Bye.
Thank <laughs> you.